Christ the Lord is risen today, Alleluia. Sons of man and angels say, Alleluia. Raise your joys in triumphs high, Alleluia. Sing ye hands and earth reply, Alleluia. Lives again our glorious King, Alleluia. Where, O death, is now thy sting, Alleluia. Dying once he all doth save, Alleluia. Where thy victory, O grave, Alleluia. Love's redeeming work is done, Alleluia. Fought the fight, the battle won, Alleluia. Death in vain forbids him rise, Alleluia. Christ has opened paradise, Alleluia. God of Zion, to you even silence is praise. That's how our psalm begins this morning. For those of you not here today, um, we'll be talking about silence and we'll be talking about the praise of God in the day alone. But God of Zion, to you even silence is praise reminds me that many of you are missing out that it is Emerson's first Sunday at church. And in silence, she praises this morning. Um, we're excited that she's able to be here today with Buford and Katrina and Karina, um, and I'm sure they're wishing you guys well, too. Um, happy first Sunday, Emerson. Let us hear the psalm and then pray together. God of Zion, to even you, silence is praise. Promises made to are kept, you listen to prayer, and all the living things come to you. When wrongdoings become too much for me, you forgive our sins. How happy is the one you chose to bring close, the one who lives in your courtyards. We are filled full by the goodness of your house, by the holiness of your temple. In righteousness you answer us by your awesome deeds. God of, of our salvation, you who are the security of all the far edges of the earth, even the distant seas, you establish the mountains by your strength, your just and raw power. You calm the roaring seas, calm the roaring waves, calm the noise of nations. Those who dwell on the far edges stand in awe of your acts. You make the gateways of morning and evening sing for joy. You visit the earth and make it abundant, enriching it greatly. By God's stream of full water. You provide people with grain because that is what you've decided. 
drenching the earth's furrows, leveling its ridges. You soften it with rain showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness. Your paths overflow with rich food. Even the desert pastures drip with it, and the hills are dressed in pure joy. The meadowlands are covered with flocks, the valleys decked out in grain. They shout for joy, they break out in song. Let us pray. O oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as to surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such loves towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns in you, the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy
My heart be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my life. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God is satisfied Amen. on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground His body lay Light of the world by darkness slain And bursting forth in glorious day Up from the grave He rose again And as He stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. 
Here in the power of Christ I stand. A reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Great Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. From the love of my own comfort From the fear of having nothing From a life of worldly passion Deliver me, oh God From the need to be understood from the need to be accepted From the fear of being lonely Deliver me, oh God Deliver me, oh God And I shall not want No, I shall not when I taste your goodness, I shall not want. When I taste your goodness, I shall not want. From the fear of serving others, from the fear of death or trial, from the fear of humility Deliver me, oh God Yes, deliver me, oh God And I shall not want No, I shall not want When I taste your goodness I shall not want, no, I shall not want, no, I shall not want. 
when I taste your goodness, I shall not want. When I taste your goodness, I shall not want. No, I shall not want. First Kings nineteen nine through eighteen, and the word of the Lord came to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" He replied, "I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too." The Lord said, "Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord." For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" He replied, "I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too." The Lord said to him, "Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus, where, when you get there, anoint." Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nishmi king of Israel, and anoint Elijah son of Saphat from Abel Menahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any who escape from the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouth have not kissed him. Reading Katrina. This morning begins, or is our third. Um, Sunday, walking through Diedrich Bonhoeffer's work, Life Together, and considering what it means for our church and our life together. The first Sunday, we talked about community, and community sort of for Bonhoeffer and for us is this gift that comes through Christ and is, is Christ, and it enables us to be in one an- with one another. Bonhoeffer had this way of, of showing that this, this, um, the, uh, this gift is not one we build ourselves, but it is pure gift from God, and it is pure gift in relationship for us. Last week, we looked at what the day together, he considers how we might live our days together uh, under the cross and under the word. And he talked about the ways in which we could worship together and to build um, rhythms of scripture and of prayer and of goodness into our life. That one, I think, in the chapters of the books, might be one of the greatest challenges until perhaps we get to confession. 
But it's a challenge because it calls us to sort of have this day together in which we share our devotional life. This chapter, The Day Alone, will name the ways in which we sort of individually live our devotional life. And most of us as Christians are familiar with the, the ways in which we go about individually living our devotional life, whether that be in prayer, in praying the hours, in offering the Lord's Prayer three times a day as we talked, reading the Psalms when we talked through that series, or even um, just a Bible reading plan with some intercessions. Most of us are aware of the day alone, but last week I think was a deep challenge when it came to us on how to live the day together. But this week talks about the day alone, and Bonhoeffer sort of lays out three things that he thinks makes up a good day alone. But he also has some interesting thoughts that sort of bracket around that that I want to talk about as well. The first thought comes from the reading that, that Katrina just read for us, is that the prophet Elijah is fleeing out to the wilderness, and what happens is he's surrounded by all this noise. Noise that comes in earthquake and in fire and in winds. And it tells us that God was not in those things, but that God was in the qu- gentle whisper or the quiet But there are rabbis and there are translations of the Bible that argue that even that God was in the silence. Bonhoeffer, like last week and this week, encourages Christians to seek silence. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in the fact that seeking silence is hard in the modern world. And you could say, well, it's harder with kids, but it was hard before I had kids. You could say it's harder once you're married, but it was hard before I was married. That we live in a world surrounded by noise all the time makes it harder and harder to find silence. And as we find, I think, in ourselves, it's harder for us to situate ourselves in silence. Silence can make us restless. Even for me in the time that we worship together, sometimes when it takes too long to transition from one thing to the next, whether it be my fault or somebody else's, and it's really nobody's fault, even that silence, I go, oh, we better keep moving. Even in the worship service, it's hard for us to contain silence. Rob Bell, in his NUMA series, I know some of us have watched it, has this great video on noise, and he sits down in front of a TV and he talks about that King's reading, about how that God was in the silence, and then it goes black. And it goes black for about a minute and a half before it starts flashing text on the screen, but in the back of the video it says that they got calls and complaints that people thought the video was only a minute and a half long. They couldn't sit in the minute and a half of dark silence to wait that the video begins again with words and challenges for us. In that video, it's pointed out that the guy who records sort of silent nature sounds for Hollywood, in 1968, he was able to record 15 hours to get one hour of uninterrupted silence. I didn't find when the interview was with him, but let's say it was in 2005, which seems about accurate. There was an interview with him, and he said he has to record up to 2,000 hours of noise to get one hour of uninterrupted silence. Silence is a hard thing to find in the world, so much so that we've um, uh, made it part of our economy. Um, If you go to the airport and you are surrounded by noise and ads nonstop, um, when you go and you, um, when you go to the airport and you're surrounded by all this noise, there's a place you can go to escape the noise. It's the premier club of many airlines. 
It's almost so that like most of us have to exist in a loud world, but if you have a certain amount of capital, you can go to a place in which you're not bombarded with ads and noise and sort of live and exist there. We've made silence a commodity that it was not meant to be. And yet we are called to live into this place, into this silence, and await the word from God. That we start our days in silence. And Bonhoeffer wants to point out that just not speaking is different than silence, as if um, idle talk is different than, than, than talking. You know, if you just chatter endlessly, you'd say, oh, that's noise and talking, but that's not really talking. Um, if you just sit in quiet at some point to prove something, you may not be entering into silence, that there's something that comes with the entering into a silence. And so we're silent in the morning, he says, so that God can have the first word for us. And the silence allows for this, this to sort of reverberate in our lives and to hear from God. God wasn't in all the noise that surrounded them, but was in the silence. The psalm talks about the noise of nations and the noise of the seas and all of those things that make noise around us, and yet how God stands firm in them. We are in a season where we are surrounded by noise. We're in a season where if you follow the news too closely, you're already tracking. They said something else two weeks ago. They said something else yesterday. They said something else a day ago. And all of this is to improve and to help us respond to the time that we're in better. But it becomes draining to follow all these challenges and processes of elimination to try and find out how we are to survive. There is in us an appropriate way to sort of read and respond to these things but if you're like me you've probably drowned in the past month in the news cycle of what are we to do how is this going to work out when are we opening when are we closing what are the challenges i just read um something that as we're allowed to open back up for churches that maybe singing is one of the worst things we can do and so now that's in my mind as well lord have mercy and so as Jonathan, it uh, wasn't recorded, but prayed for us before the service, for us to hold the cross in the world, might be for us, for people who can come out of silence, that don't come out of the noise of the world, but that come out of a still and steady place in which God has come to them. We don't seek to find this in the earthquake. We don't seek to find this in the fire, but it comes in the gentle whisper, as it did for Elijah, where we hear the word of God. The second thing that Bonhoeffer commends to us before the three things that make up the day is he says, whoever cannot be alone should be aware of being in community, and whoever cannot stand being in community should be aware of being alone. This thought resonates within me, and I think about it often, and you think of all the different ways you can vocalize it. If you can't stand some of your day alone and you continually seek out interaction with other people to sort of fill that void, you never come from a place of yourself. You only come from this place of responding and reacting to community. You've never had time of reading and responding to the word alone. You've never had this time of settling yourself. You've never probably had much silence. 
If you can't stand being alone, and we've probably seen people like this in our lives and maybe even seen in our unhealthy tendencies both of these extremes, I, I hesitate to divide them up into introvert and extrovert. One, because those don't seem like very good categories all the time. And two, um, I think we, we live our lives on this um, emotionally in different ways too, where we think, oh, alone is the way to be in this world uh, or together is the way to be in this world. But Bonhoeffer warns about the one who can't be alone because Christ calls us in our singularity. Christ calls us as individuals to pick up our cross and die. Christ calls us to go that way by ourselves, he wants to say for us. And so it is for us to sort of walk this road alone, to know that and to know that that's part of our life. But Bonhoeffer, like most good German theologians doesn't let the one stand but wants to hold the inverse as true as well if you cannot stand being in community you should beware of being alone if you can't stand to have others surround you and pray for you and support you if you can't stand for others to be there and suffer with you the challenge of be being alone grows much much stronger god gave us community God calls us to be with one another. There are people who retreat into loneliness into their own lives, thinking that it makes them superior to those who live in community, and such is error. Just as just living in community and having no alone time is an error as well. But Bonhoeffer in this place, he calls out two great quotes from Martin Luther. The confrontation with death and its demands comes to us all. No one can die for another. All must fight their battle with death by themselves alone. I will not be with you then, nor with you with me. Luther, Luther wants us to think about the great challenge of life that we face alone. If you can't be alone, you should beware of being in community. But he ends the community one that if I die, then I'm not alone in my death. If I suffer, the community of faith suffers with me. That as we go into these places, we don't go in loneliness as we join the community of Christ, but we are bound together in a way that makes meaning and life there. This brings us to the three major points which Bonhoeffer said should make up our day alone. The first is meditation on Scripture. Bonhoeffer, like many of us Protestants, when we say meditation, we feel like we have to bracket it off. But Bonhoeffer just says, get over it. <laughs> uh, it's a scriptural word. It's something that we can do. If you have new age meditation in mind, cut that off. But in the meantime, meditation is something we are called to do as we turn over scripture within ourselves. But as in the day together, Bonhoeffer wanted the community of faith to read longer passages together. In the day alone, he wants us to read shorter and shorter texts. Jonathan read for us from Timothy this morning, and there were some, you've got some challenging names there, and you did excellent, Jonathan, reading through those names. Um, but the thing I wanted to pull out, it's a weird text, but Paul says to Timothy to come before winter. Now that's something that I would pass over and you would pass over and most of us wouldn't think much about. Paul is simply asking Timothy to come before winter. But Bonhoeffer, when he's in America, agonizing over his decision where he should go back to Germany. And there's a bit of this um, 
myth around Bonhoeffer and his attempt to be a pacifist, but also being involved in, uh, in the assassination of Hitler that I think is much too complex uh, if you really wanted to get into it in the modern world. But what Bonhoeffer wants to go back for at this moment is he thinks if Germany is going to survive and be built again, that if he doesn't suffer with them through this moment, then he has no right to being involved in the rebuilding. And so on June 26, 1939, he writes to his friend, Today by chance I read in 2 Timothy 4, Do thy diligence to come before winter. Paul's petition to Timothy, Timothy is to share in the suffering of the apostle and not to be ashamed. Come before winter, otherwise it might be too late. That has been in my mind all day. It is for us as soldiers who come on leave from the front, but who in spite of all expectation long to be back at the front again. We cannot get away from it anymore, not because we are necessary or because we are useful to God, but because simply that that is where our life is and because we leave, when we leave our life behind, destroy it, it cannot be in the midst of it again. It is nothing pious, more like a vital urge. God acts not by means of pietous emotion, but through vital ones. Come before winter. It is not a misuse of scripture if I take that to be said to me, if God gives me the grace to do it. Shortly after this letter, Bonhoeffer goes back to Germany to where he will die in a concentration camp. But what I think, tying this to that meditation on scripture, is that if Bonhoeffer is advocating that for the Christian in their day alone to pick a text and to turn it over and over inside of themselves so that it reverberates within them, to hold that in stillness with them, to think about that as Mary ponders these things in our hearts. Bonhoeffer is not advocating for any newness to come out of this, but that God's word is addressed to us and we should hear it as such. If you long to hear come before winter the way that Bonhoeffer did, I think you have to sit with texts longer than your Bible in a year might have you do it. You have to sit and turn them over in yourselves. It's not obvious to you or to me or anyone that come before winter would mean that a 1930 German person should go back to Germany and partake in the suffering that is going on there. But in Bonhoeffer's challenge for us to hear and to meditate on Scripture in our day alone together, in these shorter texts, that we can hear that God's word is a word for us. And that it is not to be pious, but it can spur something of God's grace in us that we might be able to do it. That we might be able to model this for the world. The second thing that Bonhoeffer holds out for our day is prayer. He thinks prayer is best guided by the words of Scripture. If you've been able to join us in morning prayer or use the sheet, it's amazing how much that this sort of ancient sort of daily hour prayer, uh, morning prayer, is guided by Scripture and soaked in Scripture and used in Scripture, and so much so that the intercessions that we offer on behalf of other people or the world play almost a minor key to the major key of praise to God, of hearing from God, of responding to God, and reflecting God. It's in this way that when we pray together, we merely don't just ask God for things, but that we are reminded of who we are from God, what God has done for us. Bonhoeffer says that our prayer can be the light of our day. It can preserve us from sin. 
It can grow us in holiness and inspire in us faithfulness. Prayer is not just this time of intercession, but this time of of seeking in the stillness and the time that we have some of God to guide us for the day. It's not to be lost on us. It's it's um, many of us have heard this in 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 our modern. Uh, self-awareness, we're tempted to roll our eyes, but many people who are good at this, spending some of their day in silence and prayer, often will remark that they can know the difference at the end of the day, how the day went, and whether they sought that time or not. Whether that's a placebo effect or not, or just some pious emotions, I think it's wise for us to actually listen to that, to take those testimonies to heart. That in and setting ourselves before God and hearing from God who we are to be, we might actually find that having an effect on our day. It will guide us. God will meet us in that time. There's one of my professors used to like to say as pastors, and I think this is true of all our relations, is when we walk into the room of a hospital with someone, we should ask ourselves, what drama are we walking into? There's something that's been going on long before we arrive on the scene, and there's something that's going to go on long after we arrive on the scenes of our workplaces, of our lives. And it's prayer we can find that it's not all about us, but that God has been working something much larger out in the world. The last thing that Bonhoeffer holds up for us is that that prayer of intercession Here he says the community that tries to live together will live or die by intercessory prayer, being able to pray for one another. Now what I should say is that Bonhoeffer is talking about this um, for our community and for all communities, but he's coming out of an intentional community where they lived very close together. And so when he speaks of intercessory prayer, he's not just merely... um, talking about the prayers for healing and the challenges for the day, but he's talking about the people who might have offended you (laughs) and challenged you. And most of us are aware the more time we spend with each other, the more time that we come with things that we hold out before each other. And so he calls this time our purifying bath in the community. And he says the best thing that perhaps we can do in intercessory prayer is to bring people under the cross of God where they're receiving from God the grace that we also receive. It enables us to see people in Christ's mercy. And in seeing people in Christ's mercy in ourselves, we can respond to them and the things that perhaps we're hanging on to can fade away. Intercessory prayer, prayer for one another, becomes one of these things that in our community we hold dear in our prayers and sharing on Sunday morning and the way that we try to keep each other updated on our life through connection and house churches and stuff like that. And it's something that should bleed into our lives more. I think during this time where I've been brought to prayer for Ruth and Claris and Leanne and their shut-in ways is something that should have been going on long before this time the ways that I've been brought to pray for those who are at risk in our community, whether it be with asthma or illness or age, that they would be protected during this time of virus. It is perhaps this time of reminder from this that intercessory prayer is something we can use more and more in our life. It may be easier to remember now, 
but it is something that I think that can guide us more and more into the future of our life together. Bonhoeffer ends this chapter by saying we go out into the world after this. This is our time of testing, and it brings us to sobriety, he says. We go into the world, he says, surrounded by non-Christians. And so it is this time in the morning and this time during the day that sort of feed off each other. That this time can be a time of guiding for that time. This time can be a time of reminding us during that time. This time can bring us to a stronger place in the time in which we go out into the world. And as we talked about, Bonhoeffer doesn't see this as a penalty. Bonhoeffer doesn't think the Christian going out into the world is, oh, if we didn't have to do that. If we didn't have to do that, we would have no ability to be like Christ, he considered in the first chapter. But it is for us to prepare ourselves for that time. Because says the person who goes out successfully, lives their life in holiness and truth and uprightness, brings a blessing back to the community. May we, as we live our days alone during this time, hear from the scriptures, have prayers that guide us to God and shed light on our day. May we pray for one another, bring people near to the cross of God and to see them in Christ's mercy, but also to ask for their protection and healing and goodness. May we go out into our days, sobriety and testing, sure of who we are in God, and bring blessing back to our community. Let us pray. God, you have given us the joys of Christian community as a gift. You have given the time of worship, of being together as a gift for us as well. And so you also give us our time alone, of silence and stillness, of hearing from you, of hearing from your word, of seeking you in prayer, of praying for others, as a gift to give structure and life to our lives. May we find time to use that wisely. May we be people who can read the scriptures and turn them over in ourselves and hear from you God's word and address to us. And may all of this inspire the faithfulness in us that was lived by your Son. I ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn in the suffering in the sorrow when my sinking hopes are few shall never be renewed.
Christ the sure and steady anchor while the tempest rages on when temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won deeper still then goes the anchor though i justly stand accused i will hold fast to the anchor it shall never be the sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief hopeless somehow oh my soul now lift your eyes to Calvary this my ballast of assurance see his love forever prove my hope is in the anchor, it shall never be removed. All my hope is in the anchor, it shall never be Now is our time of confession together. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sins to God. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Let us hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen. And as we've been doing in lieu of communion during this time, let us confess the faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In Christ we offer all that he has offered, the perfect offering. Christ is the life of the world. Christ is the life of the world. So we remember all that he remembered, the whole of life returned. Christ is the life of the world. Christ is the life of the world. Let us lift up, lift our hearts. Let us lift up, lift our hearts. It is good to lift our hearts to the Lord. Send forth in beauty, reconciling all things, radiant in Christ is the life of the world. Christ is the life of the world. Be our time of offering, but I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who have given online and mailed checks and given gifts. This week I read an article about the challenges that small churches are facing during this time with giving. And it's, it seems, I think Brian has reminded me as our treasurer, it seems nice to say that that is not true for us in the same way it is for other places. And so that is due to the gifts that many of you have given, and I'm grateful for that. But now brings us to our time of responding to the word of thanksgiving and prayer. So let us pray together. Beloved friends, in this season of repentance and healing, we accept God's invitation to be ever mindful of the needs of others, offering prayers of thanksgiving and petitions on behalf of God's community in the church and the world. God, in the noise of the world, we have so much to pray for, so many challenges to bring before you. We can forget to give thanks. So we give you thanks for the beauty of today. 
We give you thanks for the ability of our community to be bound together in Christ. We give you thanks that we suffer not alone, because we are bound in that way. We give you thanks for the joys of Emerson joining us this morning. We give you thanks for her family and the time they've been able to spend with her. God, we give you thanks for so much. On this day, particularly, we give you thanks for those who are mothers. We also pray for those whom that that has, has not happened for them, and they are mournful of that. So much to give thanks for, and yet, God, we also pray for a suffering world. This is not new during this time. But our minds are drawn to many other places now. The elderly with no place to connect or go, we pray. For those at risk living in anxiety, a fear of every interaction and grocery store trip, we pray for those. We pray for those facing unemployment and the challenges of a questionable future. We pray for families that are bound together in home now sooner than they expected and longer than they expected and the challenges that come with that. We pray for those suffering from mental illness before this started and for those who are experiencing it now. We pray for those who dealt with addiction and depression before this and find it magnified during this moment. We pray for all this that your healing may be upon us and that we may go forth as people of your healing love. We pray for the recently departed, Kim's friend, Jonathan's grandmother, we pray deeply in the hurt of a world that's being magnified as it is in Jonathan's workplace and many others. The loss of loved ones during this time. God, as Christians, may you empower us to live in the silences of this time. Often, we are too quick to answer why in these struggles. Teach us your silence. And teach us as we move into that silence ourselves. And so we pray together the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evils. For yours is the kingdom and the power. (laughs) Amen.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy